You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 108. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. This will be month 50, and I keep track loosely of the days through this Nomo app, and I'm a huge fan of that just because I like to know cool numbers that are coming up. Sometimes I forget to go and check them, and the months are way easier because 48 months was the four-year mark in January, and here we come up. So I knew I was waiting for 50, and huge number 50, right? Like when you turn 50 years old, that's a big deal. Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bears middle linebacker back in the 80s when I got into football, he was number 50. So super pumped. And I'm super pumped for this episode. And so I'm going to get right into it without him hauling around like I normally do for the first five minutes because I have a feeling I'm going to get in real deep and start showing you how deep the rabbit hole can go. Before we do that, If you haven't had a chance to subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, the algorithm would love it. I have noticed by saying this over the last few episodes, once in a while, if I remember, I have been getting some uh, better love on the iTunes. I know a ton of you are coming to me at Spotify. I don't think you can subscribe, rate, or review there. I have looked. Uh, I do appreciate the uh, comments I've been getting on the Podbean app, and I'm looking to get over there, uh, as well as the Facebook been jamming out there. I'm caught up on Instagram. So if you hit me up on Instagram, you will definitely get a response because I am caught up. It's taken me the whole pandemic, but I caught up. (laughs) And look, if you love what I've been talking about and you're ready to seriously put yourself into action mode, go over to Instagram, click on my call link, set up a time to talk to me about my wise mind empowerment course. Yes, there is a very minimal investment in yourself through me in order to join this tribe, but I am clicking right along. I am loving the people who have joined so far. This by no means is like hundreds of people. You will get a lot of one-on-one time with me. You'll get a lot of uh, opportunities to see live classes. The online course, which has not gone live to the general public yet, it's only available to those that actually have a conversation with me because I'm looking for action takers. I'm looking for the people ready to step in to their best selves by empowering themselves, overcoming the blocks that are in your mind, looking around and saying, what is it I really want to change? Then this is the way. It is It is a very select few so far, but I've been told by everyone who's either joined the live masterclass or the online course, there is a plethora of information that has helped them completely change the way they see things. And we're not talking about people who weren't doing stuff beforehand. These were people very active in their addiction recovery program. It's the foundation for which all the other things you have in your program can become even more solidified. This isn't a complete switch. You don't have to stop doing anything you've been doing. In fact, it'll make the things that you are doing mean that much more because you'll actually understand how your brain is internalizing your life and creating your life inside your own mind. This is... I uh, just cannot speak enough about it. I've, I've definitely had apprehension when I first started this show over two years ago to talk about my coaching, to let people know that they could reach out to me and we could get into a, a call and we could actually start to work on things. But I'm over that. I have cleared over that fear. And I'm not going to turn this entire show moving forward into some gigantic sales pitch or anything. But 
I do know that it is my responsibility to know that there is an opportunity for you to get a hold of me, get on the phone, and hey, even if it's just 30 minutes and we coach you through an issue you're having and you go on your merry way, glad to be able to help you, glad to be a part of your journey, whether it's just via the phone or whether it's just via the podcast, whatever it might look, let's just jump on. Neurolinguistic programming, the things I've learned in order to just heal myself through my own suffering, in order to just get my own life on track. It was so powerful, I had no choice but to go off and contribute to the rest of the community. And I'm looking to create my own tribe that actively is pursuing their best self. And I'm just so happy for those of you who've already reached out and signed up and gotten calls or joined, whatever it might be, you know who you are. Um, So that's awesome. And so let's move to the topic of the show. Somehow, still got to the five-minute mark before I got to the meat of it. (laughs) But look, I had to take the opportunity to say something about the program now. I spent hundreds of hours putting this together. I spent thousands of hours learning neuro-linguistic programming and, and getting to the level I am at it to be able to have the knowledge to put it into this online course, into the live masterclass series. It is absolutely uh, just my little, it's my little baby, and I love it. And I want to show the, I want to show the world my baby. I want to show the world my baby. Let's talk about how humans are meaning-making machines, how we attach meaning to everything. And we're going to do this, and, and I'm telling you, this is the, I'm really going to do my best to, to be succinct because I'm going to do a little bit of rabbit hole in here. And this is one of those episodes, for those of you who are longtime listeners, which I have to assume at 108, you have been jamming with me for quite some time. This is one of those where I sat down to do some research and ended up filling up my Trello board with way too much stuff. So we're going to pick out the best parts, hopefully, and get you to a place where you can really start to understand how your mind is creating the life that you live that your words aren't describing your reality. Your words inside your mind create your reality. So we're attaching meaning to everything, and we're going to take two of the presupposition that come from neuro-linguistic programming. These are, these are convenient assumptions that we make about personal growth and development in order to put ourselves in a position to use the positive toward energy rather than that negative away energy so many people tend to want to use. And by that, for those of you who just need a quick refresher, that would be like saying, I want to learn something so I don't so I don't feel stupid. That's an away energy. When you say, I want to learn things so I can be more balanced and have a meaningful life, that is a toward energy. You see the difference? One is, I don't want to be stupid. The other one is, I want a balanced life. There's a big difference there in the energy you would be using moving forward. This fear of being stupid versus this prosperous Um, empowerment that you move yourself toward when you're thinking about how you want to be balanced and you want to have personal growth. So we're looking for that toward energy here. And so whenever you start to think about these NLP presuppositions, which which I teach in both of both sections of the program, the online course and the live masterclass series, just live, it's a lot easier to dive into it, really get in deep because I can field questions while I'm teaching it. And so, of course, there's also uh, live sessions with the online course as well, because that's what I like to do. I like to get everybody in a room so that we can really brainstorm this stuff together. Two of my favorite NLP presuppositions, some people might call it the 14 laws. 
of NLP. Not a big fan of laws, mainly because I was on the wrong side of the law a lot when I was a user. But at the same time, these are things that we conveniently assume are true in order to move forward in our personal growth journey uh, with pretty much like nothing anchoring us down. So the two I'm going to talk about today, the map is not the territory, which means that the words we use are not the event or the item that they represent that we're describing, right? And then the respect the other person's model of the world, meaning respect somebody else's point of view, that we all have a different point of view in life. Respect that other person's because you have no idea what has gone through in their life, what has transpired in order to give you the person that is standing in front of you right then and there at that moment. The tricky part when I bring up respect the other person's model of the world, which is just an NLP term for point of view, right? That person's, the way that that person's created their world in their head is their model of the world. Other people have just simply called it their point of view. Uh, We call it the model of the world in NLP. The issue I've noticed when people start to think about this respecting the other person's model of the world is they think that by just listening to somebody else's point of view, that somehow it's they're condoning it, and you're not. You're giving that person the space to just tell you where they're at in their life. Nobody is doing things against you. They're just doing things for themselves. All humans in the human experience put ourselves in a position where, for the most part, we're talking about a majority of the population, is looking out for themselves first. It's it's part of the human construct. You can decide to argue this all you want as you're hearing me say it. And I would say in this moment, don't judge. Just seek to understand. Just hear this out. That when people are looking to benefit themselves, they're, they're not going against you. They're just going for them. So when they make a choice, let's say, to break up with you, it's not Oh, against you, no matter what they say, what it really is, is it's for them. They know where they want to be going in life, and it's not with you. You might think it's against you, but it's really just for them. Somebody takes the the last piece of cake in the refrigerator, even though you had said you want it. It's not going against you as much as they wanted the last piece of cake too. When people make decisions, it's to help them prosper. There are those altruistic people who just give and give and give and give the people pleasers of the world. From what I've learned and read and, and, and studied up on this, at some point the people pleasing can leave people feeling a little jaded because even though they say they don't want anything back, the human experience pretty much dictates that at some point they do want reciprocation. So when you respect the other person's model of the world, you're not condoning whatever it is they say. If you listen to somebody who's alt-right And instead of yelling at them about why your opinion is more important than theirs and how your point of view is better than theirs, you could just seek to understand what what happened in their life that led them to believe what it is that they believe. Just like if you're alt-left, you would want somebody on the alt-right to just hear you out. There's a reason why you have the values and the beliefs and the memories and the experiences you do. These are the filters that we use to make meaning of the things that are happening externally so our mind can... Organize them internally. So as humans, when we when I say that we attach meaning to everything, is because we're always looking for order within the chaos. That everything happens for a reason. Well, does it? 
really happen for a reason? Or are you creating the reason because you're a meaning-making machine? See, that's that's really where like this whole, so it's a, is it a riddle? Is it a psychological behavioral, you know, theme, theory, right? Like, let's think about that for a moment. To say everything happens for a reason is really just looking to make order out of chaos when really it just happened. If you didn't notice that it happened, then you may not even care if there's a reason. I came across an article that was talking about people who were supposed to be in the Twin Towers on 9-11, but for some reason ended up not being. You know, one of them missed like missed a flight and another person like woke up late. And so they took it like, oh my, there's a reason. You know, the God or this or that didn't want me in that building. When in reality, it was just they missed an alarm or they their their taxi showed up late. It wasn't really, did it? I mean, you know, who am I to judge, right? In the universe of infinite possibilities, why can't that be one? One of my favorite sayings I've ever come up with. In the universe of infinite possibilities, why can't that be one? Right, we don't really know what's going on up in the heavens. So we don't really know if we can judge whether there is a reason or not a reason. But we do know that humans are meaning-making machines so even if there wasn't a reason to begin with, we will certainly come up with one to just justify the way we want to see the situation. I was explaining it to one of my tribe members tonight after our live masterclass. Tim, you know you. Tim, I've, I've mentioned it before. He's uh, he's super into what we're talking about, and the growth has just been phenomenal. I started saying about, this is how come I decided to make this episode about meaning-making machines. I had this sitting in the file folder, just hanging out, waiting, and I was like, this is it. I said it to Tim tonight. I'm going to bring it up to the rest of the of the squad today in the podcast. That, think about it, you know, right now, okay, just a little backtrack. Every single second of your life, millions of bits of data are flying into your into your awareness, Right, your your uh, 2.3 million bits of information are coming in at you every single second, and they have to be organized through some means. And there's all these filters, and we'll get into that at a different podcast. But what ends up happening is that all of these filters end up pushing out pretty much all of that data to the unconscious mind, and the conscious mind can only take 126 of those bits. Because you can't, you cannot be aware of everything happening around you all the time, or you would be sensory freaking overload. And think about what it is you're not normally aware of that when I say these things here in a second, all of a sudden you're aware of. Think about your pinky. Think about your middle toe. Think about your eyelid. Think about your skin on your right shoulder blade. These are just parts of the millions of bits of data you're just not thinking about on any second of the day. Think about the room you're in right now. Can you name every single book on the shelf or how many ink pens are in the coffee cup next to your computer? I'm just randomly looking at things in my office now, right? I don't normally notice the ukulele that sits underneath my sea otter frame next to my tree frame, right? These are just things that exist around you. If every single time you walked into a room, you literally had to remember and remind yourself of the weight and the dimensions and the diameter and the color of every single thing around you, it would be sensory overload. You'd never get anything done because every single second you'd be trying to rebuild the world that you're looking at right in front of you. And so because of this, our brains delete and distort and generalize information. And I I covered this on a previous podcast, so you can always go back and check it out. So because we do this deletion, distortion, generalization, our brains are basically just making meaning out of things in order to just put some order 
to the chaos. You're a baby. You're inside the womb. You come flying out of this tunnel. Okay, maybe flying out of a tunnel isn't the best way to describe what many consider to be the miracle of childbirth, but I'm a dude with no kids, so I don't have that emotional connection to childbirth as some of you might. So just work with me here, okay? It's, it's, this, is, this, is just, this is just my model of the world, and I have already asked you to respect it. So you come out of the birthing process, and you're a baby, and boom, you were, you've been inside this, this dark womb for your first nine months, and then you wham! Whoosh, hello, world! And you are bombarded by millions of bits of data every single second, and you're a baby. Now, previously, you were getting the same millions of bits of data in the womb. It was just the same millions of bits because you were just locked up inside this, This, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was just this big, you know, belly full of fluids that was keeping you alive. I really was struggling in the last four seconds to come up with some sort of example or metaphor that was like, is this going to make sense? I'm like, ah, my brain settled on big belly full of fluid. (laughs) So you come out and boom, you're in the world. And it is just colors and shapes and sounds and lights. And it is just, I mean, it is just, it seems like infinite inputs coming at you. And from that moment on, you're looking to make meaning out of every single thing that you see. And right, you, you you've got to make meaning out of things. There's this that there's that internal chaos of the world around that that seeks the unconscious mind and the mind working together seek to make things more structured, more organized. Because of this, then you know, you see after a while you start to make meaning that oh, um, the car stops at a red sign. So red must always mean stop. Um, green, you know, means go, but green is also money. So then I should spend money because if green means go, then the money should go out of my pocket. Like there's all these, I know, I know, I'm just throwing out this random examples here because I'm just I'm super pumped about this topic. And at the same time, I, I really want to make sure that I, I, I'm able to tie it up in a nice little package by the end here is that we just start to make meaning out of every single thing that we see. And this is just the human experience. It's neither wrong nor right. It's neither good nor bad. But there is meaning being made. And so when I say that the words we use are not what we're actually describing, right? they're not the event or the item that we're talking about, we're attaching meaning to things that we experience, and no one else on this planet is going to attach the exact same meaning that we are attaching to it. Even if you and your best friends all go to the same concert and you both got all, and you all got lit up over the same song, I'm picturing an AJR concert right now. I love them in concert. If you've ever heard of AJR, you know. If you've seen them, you definitely know. They are an amazing live band. But no one who goes to that show is going to walk away with the same kind of internal representation, like memory, of when he's playing the the trumpet and the screen in the background's moving and it looks like he's walking but really he's just sort of doing like this moonwalk running man you know shuffle dance kind of thing we're all going to have a different way of internalizing that and that again is neither right nor wrong it's just our experiences of life create the life that we now have but it's all based on these filters that we're using so we all might be like, oh my God, that trumpet part where he was sort of kind of moonwalking slash shuffle dancing was ridiculous. But why we think that isn't necessarily going to be the same. 
I would be willing to bet 99.999 times out of 100, it would definitely not be the same. Again, even if we say the same words, the way we've internalized it will not be the same. And so when we're attaching the meaning to everything, that we're meaning-making machines, we're using our words to describe something, but it's not actually that thing. You know, you see a basketball, and you all start to, a classroom starts to describe it. They're going to describe it differently. There's this really cool example I was taught when I was learning NLP. You take three blind men, and you put out, and you walk them up to an elephant, and you put one at the trunk, one at the ear, and one at the leg. And the, the blind man at the leg describes the elephant as being strong and sturdy and round and a bit wrinkly. And then the, the blind man at the nose is like, wow, it's, it's, a, it's a long slender tube and it moves around and, it, and uh, there's a hole at the end of it. And then the blind man at the ear is like, well, it's a little bit squishy and it almost feels like clay and it's a little wrinkly and it's very soft and there's hair all over it. They're all describing the elephant, but they're describing it differently because they're experiencing the elephant differently. This is why humans describe things differently, because we all have a different perspective of the elephant. Imagine the entire world was an elephant, and we're all around a different part of the body of the elephant. We're not going to describe it the same way. Even if we're both touching the leg, our previous experiences of things that felt like that are going to determine how it is we actually describe the leg of that elephant. So when you respect another person's model of the world, you just respect the fact that they're describing a different part of the elephant than you, and that everything that's happened in their life will lead them to describe the elephant differently than you. Again, it's neither right nor wrong. It's just their perspective. Telling somebody who's touching the ear that they're wrong because you're over here touching the tail, so you think that an elephant's tiny and whips back and forth, you're, you're wrong for assuming that they're wrong, that you're the only one who's touching the elephant. You're the only one who could possibly describe the elephant the same. So when you respect another person's model of the world, you're actually respecting their version of reality. You're respecting their map of the overall territory. See, a map by itself, just laying there on paper, isn't the entire territory. It is just the key markers along the way to get you somewhere. But when you're walking through the forest, if you have a map of the forest, it might show you the path. And there might be like, hey, here's Jesse's rock. And hey, there's Billy's tree. And hey, there's, there, there's, there's Sarah's, uh, Sarah's cave, right? There's, there might be major landmarks. But when you're walking through the forest, that's the territory. Now you're noticing every little flower. Now you're noticing the colors. Now you're noticing the snake over there on the limb of the tree. And now you're noticing the birds. The birds aren't on the damn map. One, the birds move around. But two, they're not, they're not consequential to you being able to use a map to get from one side of the forest to another following multiple trails. Trail maps at the beginning of a trail show you how to make it out of the trail without getting lost. But they don't tell you where every bird's going to be or where every flower's going to be. That's the territory. Your map isn't the territory. What you are experiencing and seeing is not the entirety of actually what's happening because you are only able to take in a fraction, a minutia of the data that's actually coming at you every single second of the day. Imagine you're working at a paperclip factory and every single second that you're working there, I dump 2.3 million paperclips 
in front of you, and I expect you to grab out 126 red ones. At the same time, somebody's standing across from you, and I tell them to grab out the same 126 red ones. You can't. You can't. Because one, there's only the 126 that are meant for you. A different 126 is meant for them. And then every single second, you have to grab out another 126 red paper clips. Your mind would go freaking nuts. There's a reason why the unconscious takes care of so many of our actions, from breathing to digestive. Because if we had to think about breathing, that's all we would do. As a creature, every creature, bears and raccoons and owls, nothing would ever do anything and it would die immediately from starvation like three days after it was born because it would be spending all of its time remembering to breathe. This is why, like, obviously animals have some level of unconscious mind because they're not sitting around reminding themselves to breathe. And somehow they're, you know, we we call it like uh, instinct whenever it's really just tens of thousands of years of programming that if you're uh if you're prey if you're a deer to be on the lookout for a bear and obviously you're being shown some of this stuff by your mama and papa deer but for the most part a lot of this stuff seems instinctual but it's just that that unconscious mind of that animal saying hey we want to survive let's make sure we survive and now I think I'm getting to the point where I can start to wrap this up and you can understand why I'm talking about this today. Part of you might be thinking, wow, if this is how you teach, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. Another <laughs> part of you might be in like, if this is how you teach, I want to be a part of it. Again, map territory, right? I'll respect the people's model of the world who think that I talk extremely fast and I get super excited about material. That's me. If you're kinesthetic, if you like, if you like to, if you're a bit of a slow talker and you like to feel things deeply, my very visual way of talking might turn you off. I absolutely get that. I know that there are certain people who are into what I are into how I say it, and there's other people who are much more um, likely to go with some of my peers that trained with me because of how they say it. We might say very similar things, but it's it's how we say it. So when you start to look at how you are internalizing the world, right? And now you're starting to think, okay, so my map isn't the territory. What I see isn't what everybody else sees. How I describe things isn't necessarily how it actually even happened, let alone how other people would describe it. And we respect everybody's map because that's respecting the other people's model of the world. And now we can start getting to the meaning-making machine aspect of this. We say everything happens for a reason, because we need to. We as humans need to make sense out of the chaos because it gives, us, it gives us a sense of certainty. It makes us feel safe. It, that's what we seek. As creatures, we seek that certainty of safety. So when we start to attach meaning to things, we just must realize that what we're doing is we're attaching the meaning according to us, according to how we have experienced it, according to how we see it or hear it or feel feel it. But it is not how everybody else has seen it, heard it, or felt it. And when you can slide in to this presupposition of respecting everybody's point of view because your map is not the territory, you will honestly begin to communicate with people at a deeper, more connected level because you'll realize that it is inherent that we all 
have different perspectives. And then when you go inside your own mind and you start looking at ways that you've changed since you decided to get sober or ways that you've changed since you got sober or ways that you've changed since you evolved into addiction recovery, you're making meaning of your history in order to support the newest version of you. And again, the meanings you're making aren't necessarily right or wrong. It's what's working for you because you're not doing things against anyone else. You're doing them for you. I can easily say, yes, damn it, Jesse, why did you get into cocaine and LSD and all that booze at Ball State University in 1994? Why did you join the fraternity when what you should have been doing was studying all the time and getting good grades so you could go off, you could be a sports broadcaster, you'd have been the next Bob Costas, you'd have gotten a job at ESPN in the mid-90s, and who knows where your career could be. So let me just sit in my office right now and just beat the shit out of myself because I didn't do that in 1994. That sounds super freaking beneficial to who I am today. Can we all agree that that just sounds absurd? Right. You're not going to just sit in there and kick your own ass for decisions you made a couple of decades ago that you can't do a damn thing about right now. It's over. Any chance to do anything about it stopped a second after you made the decision 20 fucking years ago. So let's attach a new meaning to these things. This is what we're doing. And this is great. Again, not right or wrong. Seek to understand yourself. What meaning are you now attaching to things? We go back and say, okay, you know what? I like my life now. I like the trials and tribulations I went through. Some of my best friends came out of those fraternity experiences. Two of my best friends came out of living in Orlando and acting crazy at Friday's Front Row Sports Bar and Grill and Wet and Wild uh, Water Park. Two of my best friends came out of Orlando. Right Then I went off to Gainesville. Some of my best friends came out of Gainesville. I got to be there when we won national championships for football and basketball twice each with Tim Tebow as our freaking quarterback. He's like the, the, the SEC Jesus Messiah. We love this guy. He even created a whole, owned his own meme by getting down on one knee and putting his fist up on his elbow and praying after touch, scoring touchdowns. Like That was an amazing experience. If I go back to 1994 and I don't do all that stuff, yes, I create a life. Would I necessarily like it anymore? I don't know. And judging whether I would like it anymore or less than the current life I had is completely arbitrary. It's, it's, it's a, it would be a, literally a practice in insanity to try to decide if I would have enjoyed my life anymore then. Would I have, who knows? Who knows? Who knows how many failed marriages maybe I had or how many kids I ended up having that hated me because I was always working at the sports place. Or maybe I ended up being Bob Costas and there's statues of me built on Mars because Elon Musk and I are boys. I don't know. I don't care. I like what I'm doing now. I love what I'm doing now. I really feel like I put my soul to the test and said, you overcome addiction. And then that's what your soul was put on this planet to do in this lifetime. And then I got sober and was like, nope, 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 there's still something more. Let's figure out why I acted the way I did. Let's figure out why I made the decisions I did. Let's, let's overcome the suffering and the trauma and the pain from my childhood and my teenage years and how all the suffering and trauma I put myself through in my 20s and 30s so that my 40s all the way up to my 100s can be a blast. Let's figure out why I did this. 
next thing you know, I'm, I'm studying psychology and then behavioral psychology, and then I'm introduced to NLP, and the rest, as they can say, is history. And now I'm sitting here having this amazing podcast. I've got thousands of listeners to the show. You hit me up in the DMs. You let me know how much this information has changed your life. I feel blessed every single second that I could be a part of your journey. And I'm like, you know what? Is this what I was put on this planet for? I don't know, but it feels pretty damn good right now. Where does it go? Where does it grow from here? Not where does it go from here? Where does it grow from here? Because I'm in charge of my growth, because I'm in charge of my mind, therefore I'm in charge of my results. We attach meaning to things in order to bring, I keep saying in order to bring order to the chaos. So I guess I just love the word order in this podcast, but let's run with this for a little bit because we're getting at about the 33 minute mark and you know how much I've been striving to keep us close to the 30, but hey, hey, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm actually sitting down in my coaching chair. You may have seen it on some of my lives. I'm not even pacing around right now, mainly because it's 11.15 on a Tuesday night. And I've been up since 7 a.m. nonstop. <laughs> and my knees are killing me because I started doing insanity workouts last week. And Shanti is insane. Anyways. <laughs> I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So let's reel it in, Jay. Let's reel it in. When you attach meaning to things, it's what you believe it means. Trying to shove your meanings down other people's throat is just a jackass move. Respect the other person's model of the world and understand that your map, the way the words you're using to describe an event or the way your map looks to you is your map. It is not everybody else's map. They have their own map. And nobody's map is a complete representation of the actual territory. So we all are going on with our own maps, and we, but no one really sees the entire territory because you can't. You can't see every blade of grass. You can't feel every single cell in your body. You can't feel the blood pumping all the time. You cannot be thinking about breathing every single second of the day because then you wouldn't be able to do anything else but other than sit there and breathe. The unconscious mind takes on percent of all of the information that's happening around us because the conscious mind would lose its shit if it tried to actually sort through the 2.3 million bits of data coming at us. I've been dropping a couple profanity bombs in this one. I know you guys know I don't just do that for no reason. I'm doing it for a fact because I want you to take this stuff in. When you beat yourself up over your past, you are wasting your time. There is nothing wrong, in fact, it's absolutely beneficial to go back and look over the things that you've experienced so that you can learn from them. But if you're just going back to relive it so that it, it, and then it shifts your emotional state and leaves you feeling less than, then you're not going back and actually learning what you're supposed to be learning. You're just reliving the trauma, you're reliving the bad experience, and you're just anchoring that emotional state into yourself even deeper. We got into sobriety and addiction recovery to heal ourselves. Our trauma, not our fault. Our responsibility is to heal it. It is your responsibility to heal yourself through the trauma. No one can do it for you. No matter how much your sponsor or your mentor or your coach or your therapist says positive things, has you worked the steps or has you worked the four truths or whatever your program looks like, That stuff's great and all, but you leave them at some point and you go back and you spend the rest of the time in your own mind. 
Like back when I was a personal trainer and I had a personal trainer and he'd say, Jesse, I get you three hours of the week. The other 165 is on you. What are you doing when you're not around me to make sure that what we're doing in the gym actually provides the results? I had a whole section I was going to talk about cause and effect here, but we are out of time, so we're not going to dive deep into cause and effect, and I'm pretty sure I've covered it in past ones. But just a quick understanding that a cause is something that produces an event or condition, right? It's something, it's, you, this cause produces an event. The effect is what results from that event, right? So you were late to the meeting because of traffic. So the, the cause, what was the cause of you being late? The, the, something that produces you being late to the, the meeting was, was where you're at cause. The effect is the results. All right, see, even now, I'm, I'm not even going to do this because I can't even begin to touch into cause and effect and my brain isn't being succinct because it's trying to speed through it because it's so pumped. It just wants to give you more and more and more when I could easily just move that to a different episode. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to leave cause and effect and how this wraps up to attaching meaning to everything and how the map is not your territory and how respecting the other person's model of the world. These three things to know, these are the three main points from this podcast. People say everything happens for a reason. When somebody says that, they are seeking a way of making meaning out of what happened. Because that's what our minds do. If we don't have a meaning for stuff, then everything just seems like chaos. And the human mind can't even begin to fathom chaos. The human mind cannot understand how something happens without something causing it to happen. This is why I wanted to get into cause and effect. When we're making meaning, there has to be a cause. Like our brain, it has to find the cause. So just be consciously aware that you're seeking the cause when you attach meaning to things. And when you attach meaning to things, that is your point of view. That is your model of the world. You want other people to respect your model of the world. When you get the talking stick and you want to you wanna project your opinion or your belief or your value out there, you want people to shut the hell up and listen. But then you don't shut the hell up and listen when somebody else has something to say? Like you might, um, what, are, what are some very polarizing topics? Republican, Democrat, carnivore versus vegetarian, um, you know, uh, economist over um, environmentalist. Right? These are like, okay, we all have our own model of the world that led us to be an economist or an environmentalist. We all have experiences which created the model of the world that led us to either think that being a carnivore was great or that being a vegetarian was better. And we all have a model of the world that was created through our experiences that led us to either be a Democrat or a Republican or, or an, even an independent or a libertarian or a Green Party or, I don't know, any one of the other numerous parties that, sh- that should be invented to show up to break apart this two-party system that we have. I will never get political on this show again uh, after I did it a while back ago and realized this isn't necessarily the forum. But I'll say this, it would be a lot cooler if we had about 10 different political parties because then people would actually have to talk and get along and work together because then nothing would get done if we didn't. And for those of you who said, wow, 10 political parties, then we'd really get nothing done. Are we really getting that much done now? (laughs) At some point, people need to step up and lead. So be the leader in your own life. You might have 10 different voices telling you what you should or shouldn't do. Right? 
That's all these different voices in your head. Preacher, teacher, mom, dad, siblings, uh, best friend from fourth grade, best friend from, from senior in high school, uh, best friend from college. Then you got the boss. You all got these different voices. They all had their own model of the world that led them to say whatever they said to you about whatever they were talking about. That's their model of the world. Respect that, but create your own individualism. Create your own identity. Have your identity not need to be so individualistic that you put the entire herd, that you put the entire uh, civilization or society at risk. This is not a pandemic thing, by the way. This is just literally understanding that when we live in a society, respecting other people's model of the world is how we stay civilized. When we decide to group together in order to have certainty and have safety, part of that social contract we sign is respecting that other people have a different opinion than us, and that's okay. Because our map is not the territory, and their map is not the territory. They have their map for the world, you have your map for the world. And whether it be the words that you're using to describe your world, and the words they're using to describe their world, or whether it is literally what you look out upon and you see, hear, and feel, and taste, and touch. There is a 0% chance that if we had, you know, if you had two different ways of formulating what was going on in front of you, you know, it's like if there was cars driving by and there was people crossing the street, and I walked up to you and 20 other people and said, are there cars driving by and people walking across the street? Well, you are, of course, you'd all say yes, because those are the one, there are only two options, and two, those are things that are actually happening in front of us. But that's not how the world is experienced. The world is experienced with millions of bits of data happening all the time. So when I ask those same 10 people on the street corner, what's happening right now in front of you? Some might point out the cars. Some might point out the people walking. Some might point out the homeless person playing the banjo over there. Some might point out the dog eating out of the garbage can. Some might point out how one of the green lights isn't working very well. Another person might point out how a street sign uh, is actually named after the capital of one of the states. Like you just don't know what that person's going to pull out because they're literally standing on a street corner with millions of things to point out. And when you ask 10 people to point out what they're seeing and experiencing and hearing and feeling, and you really start to ask them, okay, what else do you see? What else do you see? What else do you see? At some point, everybody's going to have a different answer. And that is the map not being the territory. And you couldn't turn to somebody else and be like, no, dude, what's happening right now is that person's playing the banjo. And they'd be like, um, actually, this street is called Jackson, and Jackson's the capital of Mississippi. And somebody else is like, no, dude, that window up there is broken. All of it's happening at the same time. So why are we arguing about whether what is happening is happening or not? And why can't we just say, okay, well, that's what you're seeing. I'm seeing something else. But in reality, we're all seeing exactly what is happening. We're just seeing it differently because we attach meaning to things differently. So when you're sitting in a meeting or you're talking to somebody else and you're noticing that you seem to be buttoning heads about something, release the need to be right. Release the need to be heard over everybody else. Settle into the fact that everybody should have the same level of voice. Everyone should be treated equally. Start to do this and start to notice how you have empathy for other humans. 
how you see them more as equals than as differences. When we stepped into sobriety and addiction recovery, we didn't just do this to stop using. We did this to become the best versions of ourselves, to empower ourselves to reach the highest potential and then go beyond it. We did not get sober to just mail it in for the rest of our lives and settle for what we already had. I say that to myself all the time. Is this why you got sober? If, if I cannot say yes definitively, then the answer is no, and it's time to work harder. I have a shirt that says, nobody cares, work harder. Because nobody will care as much as I will. And I will always want to strive higher. It does not mean that I'm not satisfied with what I accomplish. It doesn't mean that I'm restless and it's push, 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 push. But yeah, there's a drive inside that wants to see if I can go one second faster on my insanity workout tomorrow. There is a part of me that started averaging 10,000 steps. And then I was like, well, why don't I average 11,500 for the month of March? I'm averaging about 14,000 steps a day right now. And yeah, I just go in circles around my apartment complex because I'm able to get into an alpha brainwave sequence because I've got it memorized. I don't even have to pay attention. So my brain can be creating or it can be listening to an audiobook, or it can be talking to a client on the phone or a friend on the phone. I can just walk circles and I can just do this for 45 minutes to an hour and a half at a time and listen to books and get work done. And I, and I don't even have to think about anything else going on. I, but I get that movement. I get that motion. I get to get into that trance that you achieve when you're driving a car or you're in the shower. I get to achieve that while walking and getting some exercise and getting the blood pumping. All because I got an app on my phone that started to tell me how many steps I walked a day. I look to achieve because that's what humans seek to do. Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl and he's like, and they're like, which one's your favorite ring? And his answer is the next one. And I'm like, dude, can't you just be content? You just won a Super Bowl. And I'm like, wait, that's me. As soon as I succeed at something, I'm like, okay, cool celebrate it, be happy about it. But then it's like, okay, well now what? Let's do something even more awesome. It's it's just part of the human experience. And again, this doesn't mean that you can't get in a hammock and relax once in a while and chill back and just soak it all in. Stop reading for a day or two to just let your brain really allow all this new information to saturate into it. But there is a time where the brain's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little restless. The body's like, okay, I'm getting a little restless. For some people, celebrating it might mean an hour. For other people, it might mean 100 days. You decide. You attach the meaning to it you desire to attach so that it makes you feel what you desire to feel. Talk about a, a whole sentence full of nothing but abstracts. You attach the meaning you want to attach to it in order to feel the way you want to feel. Only you will know if what you're doing is placating the lazy version of yourself or on purposely coming up with excuses so you don't have to push yourself out there and get uncomfortable in your uncomfortable zone and really push yourself to achieve something greater. Only you will know if you really need self-care or if you're just procrastinating. Only you, because you're the one attaching meaning to things. What is your filter to know that you're telling yourself the truth Versus that you're lying to yourself. I can respect your model of the world and tell you you can do whatever the hell you want 
all you want, as long as you're not hurting other people. But can you respect your model of the world? It's when you can't respect your model of the world that you know a change is going to come. Because if you're even disappointed in your own point of view, of your own model of the world, if you look down at your map and you're not happy with the landmarks it's showing, you can create a new map. You can change your model of the world. And you can choose new meanings for things. This is how we release trauma and show up as the most empowered, best selves that we are today. That's all. It's almost been 50 minutes. I could seriously sit here and talk about this all day and forever. This is the kind of stuff that jazzes me up. This is what fires me up. This is the kind of change work I want you to be involved in. If you are excited about what you hear me talk about, get over to Instagram, click on my call link, and set it up. Again, I'm not going to spend 50 minutes shilling my program. I'm going to talk about the things that excite me. I'm going to talk about the things that have helped me grow into this version of myself that I know is just onward and upward. That it is, I'm not, It's not where I'm going. It's where I'm growing. And I'd love for you to be a part of it. If this resonates with you, then step forward. Raise your hand and I will call upon you. I would love nothing more than for you to go from being a member of my of my podcast tribe to a member of my empowerment live masterclass and online course tribe. I'm calling us the empowerment tribe. I would love for you to be a part of it. If this resonates with you and you're ready to put your best foot forward, I'm ready to have you as always. Oh, I love you guys. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release it and let your life flow. Every day is the best day of my life because I wake up sober. I actually said sober this time and not sober, although I almost said sober. Shout out the sunshine. See you next week. Bye-bye.